0: a pastor, you can be involved in the church, you can teach people about Christ, you can preach Christ crucified, you can administer baptism and administer the sacrament of the altar and still wear this uniform and still go out to where our nation fights its wars and support all the military personnel.
1: A chaplain walks alongside a soldier to provide spiritual care, to offer religious resources, and to be there to help them make difficult decisions, to comfort them during crises. Also, a chaplain advises the commander and other leadership on how they can support the soldier
0: during difficult times.
1: It's a wonderful opportunity. It's a career, but really, it's a calling. It's something I look forward to really every day when I get a chance to be with my soldiers. We integrate with the medics for when there's emergencies, when there's any type of injury to see how there are because we found out that when I integrate with the medical team, it helps them heal faster, giving them reassurance.
0: Welcome to the Operation High Ground podcast. In these podcasts, you'll hear helpful information focused on the reintegration of our heroes returning home from active duty. Here now is Executive Director Rick Norling.
1: You know, I'm really excited today to be able to introduce to you a very special friend of mine. He means a lot to me. In fact, when I wake up every morning, I say good morning to him because I've got his picture on the wall in my office. His name is Phil Wright. He's the executive director of the Chaplain Alliance for Religious Liberties, or using the acronym of CALL. If you're interested, we'll give you the contact information for Phil at the end of this. But you can also go to our website at OperationHighGround.org. We have the link to the Chaplain Alliance. It's under CALL. You'll see it in the resource section. Phil is also the endorser for the Evangelical Free Church of America. He handles all the issues of the chaplains in the military. And if you don't know, every chaplain in the military has to have an endorser through their faith group. And this endorser is the one who actually supersedes the military regulations, and he's a pretty big man on campus, if you will.
0: Phil, for just a couple of questions, what is CALL? Well, Chapman Alliance for Religious Liberty, which is what CALL is an acronym for, came into existence in 2011 when the previous administration was going to do away with Don't Ask, Don't Tell and with the Defense of Marriage Act. The founders thought that there should be a voice for those in uniform who can't normally raise raise their voice against such things that uh, the commander-in-chief puts into place. And so 33 endorsers of chaplains got together and currently these days – We endorse collectively over two-thirds of the 5,500 military chaplains serving. And that endorsement process is what brings us together because we're like-minded. We have a statement of faith that you have to adhere to. And so there is a wide variety across our membership in terms of who we represent, but we're fairly conservative, fairly, use that uh, bad word, fundamental. And yet we fight for everyone's religious freedom. So we have signed on to when the Sikhs wanted to wear their beards and and turbans as part of their religious expression, when the Jewish chaplain wanted to have his beard as part of his religious expression, and when a Protestant chaplain wanted to be able to not go against his conscience in terms of when he counseled a soldier or when he advised the commander. So we use the venue of military chaplains and those they serve to contend for religious liberty. Are there problems that chaplains are having in dealing with some of the issues that troops are facing? I think that the chaplains are sometimes challenged. Those issues, though, aren't just for chaplains. They're for everyone of faith. And the problem is that when you get into a very hierarchical structure like the military, you don't want to be rowing against the tide or cause ripples in the boat. And sometimes, since your faith comes first and it's your calling and it's why you're there, those commandments would keep you from adhering to man's law. And so, therefore, you can suddenly cause problems and This puts you in the spotlight, and of course, that's always sometimes a dangerous place to be. However, you hear a lot more publicly about supposed problems than there really are. But there is spiritual warfare going on, and there are challenges each and every day that the chaplain faces. Even from the point of view of when a soldier, sailor, airman, or marine comes into that chaplain, what kind of counseling is the chaplain going to give? If it's faith-based, if it's from his character, and it is not what the soldier, sailor, or airman wants to hear, particularly on these very volatile cultural issues like same-sex marriage and transgendered issues, then you can be challenged because we've had folks come in, ask for counseling, be told it's going to be from the Bible. They say, yes, that's what I want to hear. They get the counseling. They go out the door, and the first thing they do is go to file an EO complaint, equal opportunity complaint, or they go to the commander and say they've been prejudiced and judged and demeaned because of their belief which didn't line up with the chaplains, even though the chaplain told them where he was coming from or where she was coming from in the very beginning. Phil, what happens with the chaplains after something like this ends up on the table in front of them? Well, it's interesting. We have the enemy. We have folks that are fighting this cultural battle that are are going down this path that's anti-God, and they're using the Equal Opportunity Office or they're using the complaint section, what we would call the Inspector General. Office or even the command. And a real example was just recently a Baptist chaplain, part of the North American Mission Board, who has instructions to their chaplains not to counsel, teach or train same-sex couples, get brought up on charges, charges that would have put him in military prison, would have ended his career, obviously, if he's in prison, and ended his benefits because he told a same-sex couple that he could not do the training now that they had signed up, but he would get another chaplain to do it for them. He went through that effort. He found another chaplain that wasn't opposed to same-sex marriage. They rescheduled the retreat, causing some of the original assignees to, to not be able to make it because of the change in the date. And then the couple didn't show up for the training anyway, but filed a complaint, and the chaplain was brought up on charges of discriminating against this same-sex couple. As far as that chaplain goes,
1: that chaplain wasn't necessarily against the same-sex marriage. It was his denomination that he subscribed to, which
0: was determined by his endorser. Is that correct? The endorser has the rules, and the chaplain agrees to that when they want to be endorsed by that. This chaplain believed very strongly in the biblical position of marriage, and that it was between a man and a woman. And so he was following his own conscience as well as the dictates of his endorsing agency. He did the right things. The investigator left out that he had done the appropriate things so that they could bring up the charge against him of violating orders and violating standing orders and therefore put him in danger of having a courtroom scene. And, of course, if convicted, he would have been dishonorably discharged and have his reputation and his service ruined basically over the fact that he stood for the bible he did the right things and yet he had the system used against him
1: there was an interesting situation and i believe that this chaplain and i think you're familiar with him i think that you probably are aware of it and he was the one that was doing a marriage retreat it was a number of years back and he wrote his personal beliefs
0: on the back of the paper to save money you know what i'm talking about yes it's actually was a training on suicide that he was giving to the ranger training brigade very regimented top-notch unit and he told them that he used his own personal history of having to fight depression And that's what he wrote on the paper and offered it as a one of many solutions that are out there. This was a spiritual solution as opposed to the non-spiritual ones that were being offered. And someone complained to the commander that he was forcing his beliefs down their throats, which wasn't the case, and it created a, a real conundrum for him for a while until it was cleared up. He eventually was absolved of any misconduct. He got a great report card from that commander. He was able to go on and serve without any problem, without that following them. But it doesn't always happen. The chaplain I spoke about earlier had to wait seven months with his career hanging over his head, not knowing from day to day whether he would continue or not, whether he would have to go to trial, whether he would be convicted, whether his reputation and his faith in God be challenged and ruined all because he was obeying the calling he originally got to be a chaplain to begin with. This is why I advocate on the Hill with congressmen and senators and try sometimes, when necessary, to advocate for legislation to be written, such as the FY14 National Defense Authorization Act, where there was a section in there, 532 and 533, that we had authored that's now law. It says that a service person or a chaplain cannot be forced to do something against their conscience. So sometimes you have to use the very system that God puts you in to try to right things that are wrong. And unfortunately, under the last administration, you have folks in command that now are in uh, higher positions that made a decision about what they were going to do in terms of what they believe and what policies they were going to follow. And you have those policies happen to violate biblical instruction. And so soldiers, airmen, and Marines run into that, and they can go to their chaplain because of confidence. and and tell them what's going on. The chaplain can try to work on their behalf, or if you're from the other side, you can go to the chaplain, listen to what the chaplain says, then go say that you were discriminated against, and hopefully get rid of the chaplain, because the church is the last bastion against this cultural tide that seems to be consuming us in terms of personal morality, in terms of the definition of marriage, and now even more so the idea of male and female, and is it possible that you could be born one way and actually be something else, so these are challenging days.
1: With suicide rates at an all-time high, with marriages falling apart, with the stress and the strain of sequestration, the last thing we need to do is to impact on those people that have probably the greatest influence on our young men and women in the service today from a spiritual perspective, and that's our chaplains. You're listening to the Operation High Ground Podcast with Rick Norling. It's fascinating to see these things that are happening, and that's the fundamental basis on call. That's why it was developed, am I correct?
0: Yes. Uh We saw this coming, and again, when you're in uniform, it's very hard to raise your voice and be heard and do it appropriately. So the founders of Chapel Alliance decided that there needed to be an organization, and fortunately for us, Alliance Defending Freedom, a law firm that does nothing but religious liberty cases, helped us become incorporated and be a nonprofit entity that's able to be a voice for those in uniform that don't have a voice and to be there at the right time, at the right place, and able to do something about some of the injustice that is happening out there. Well, the Chaplain Corps isn't something that was just
1: thrown together at a whim. How far back did the Chaplain Corps go and where did it actually start?
0: Well, General George Washington, when he was the colonel of the regiment in Virginia as early as 1759, wanted chaplains to influenced his officers and his men to take care of their religious needs. Now in Virginia, all that was allowable was the Anglican, but he had actually asked for others. And so his first act as the commander-in-chief in 1775 was to ask Congress to establish the position and pay for chaplains in the Continental Army, and that's our birthday. So we're the second oldest force in the nation, and we have been doing this ever since. I think General George Marshall put it the best when you ask what's the purpose of the Chaplain Corps because he stated World War II, five-star general, said the soldier's heart, the soldier's spirit, the soldier's soul are everything unless the soldier's soul sustains him, he cannot be relied on and will fail himself and his commander and his country in the end. And so chaplains are there to meet religious needs of those that they serve with.
1: You're not talking just as the executive director of call. You're not talking as just the endorser for the Evangelical Free Church. You actually served as a chaplain, did you not? I
0: did. I served for 28 and a half years. I served in the military in the airborne infantry back in the 70s, got out in 1975, certainly didn't know the Lord, never intend to come back in the military, never intend to be a minister, partied a little too hard, flunked out of college. And yet 12 years later, there I was having completed college and seminary and been endorsed by the free church to go in and be a chaplain. And I was put right with the very group of soldiers I'd served with before the Airborne Infantry, and that turned into a 28 and a half year career. Well, so you know firsthand what the chaplains go through. What do you see as the
1: biggest need for our military chaplains at this time, and how does that affect us?
0: Well, obviously, they need the support of their home church, and you have to understand the chaplain is a missionary to the military, and so they're out away from their congregation that basis of support, and they really need their church's prayers. They need to be report to their church. They need to ask their church to hold them accountable, and they need to ask God for wisdom in how to serve all of the soldiers sailors, airmen, and marines that they come to. Obviously, not everyone is the same faith group, so how do they present themselves as being available and not closed off to a particular position? And I think that's the exciting part of being a chaplain, because every day it's something different. Every place is something where you have the opportunity to share God with someone or to share His wisdom with someone, and that may lead them somewhere down the line to come into you with serious questions about what is life and what's going to happen afterwards. And it gives you that opportunity having walked with them, having rucksacked with them, having jumped with them, having been there in the physical fitness, uh, the PT formation every morning at 0530. You're one of them. You're someone they can trust. And so they come to you with life's questions and say, chaplain, give me the real answer. I don't want pablum. And that's what I saw downrange quite a bit. 1775, George Washington appointed the first chaplain and there've been chaplains ever since. There's no greater joy. I wouldn't trade a day or the time that I had of serving soldiers and their families. Chaplains were librarians, they were defense attorneys, they ran the uh, commissaries and PXs, they wrote letters, They collected the dead, they tagged the dead, they wrote
1: letters to home. Chaplains have been free to not only represent their own faith group, but they've been free to provide religious support. That meant if my soldiers jumped out of airplanes, I jumped out of airplanes. Not only in danger of losing members of their flock, but also losing their own lives. You provide services for them, Bible study, counseling, and soldiers getting married. They are the guy that a young troop turns to when he's confused, when he's afraid, when he just simply needs somebody that he can talk to. I'm going to go back to something you said a few minutes ago, where you said that the chaplains are missionaries. And where would a missionary be without a church behind them. For the most part, we're relying on our chaplains to stand alone. And even though the military supports them and gives them food, gives them shelter, gives them clothing and and a wage, they don't get the spiritual support without the home church.
0: It's a challenge. If there's no financial investment by the congregation, as you said, the military pays their wages and uh, gives them housing. So there's not that kind of investment in a missionary normally that a church would do. But it's important that there's that connection because the chaplain is giving that church the opportunity to be where the church can't be. If you can imagine a ship out sailing, if you can imagine jail, if you can imagine a combat, if you can imagine a classified unit, obviously those are places where the church, the synagogue, other places of worship can't physically be, and the chaplain is that representation of God that is able to go there, dress like those people there, know the ways, the ins and Outs that uh, makes them part of that unit and allows them to physically be there and be counted. And again, to have the opportunity, hopefully to share the good news when they get that chance. It sounds like you just got inside George Washington's brain <laughs> and read a
1: little bit about what he was thinking at the time. But some of the chaplains, I know a number of them right now that are struggling. I know four of them that had to leave the military because of severe post-traumatic stress. Yeah. And, you know, in many cases, they don't have to be in a battle. They just have to hear the stories that some of them are suffering and they have to carry from an empathic, you know, dealing with empathy of watching people that you care about hurt. And that's part of what you do. Another reason that we need to stand behind them and support them, because it sounds to me like this understaffed chaplain corps, if I can say that, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like an understaffed chaplain corps is carrying the emotional weights of many of our service members,
0: and it's taking a toll on them as well. What can we do? do about it? Again, obviously, if you're a member of a congregation and you know that your denomination or you're aware of the endorsing agency that sends chaplains, being able to pray for them by name on a regular basis, being able to encourage them is is a great help. And then understanding that the chaplain can't do it by himself or herself, that obviously when these soldiers, sailors, airmen, and marines come home, there's going to be a need to engage with them. Again, not pity them, but, but empathy. With them and to try to provide for their needs. There, a lot of them are seeing things that that just aren't seen regularly. That the body has a hard time, the mind has a hard time wrapping itself around the violence or the extraordinary trauma that's happening. And so, you have to try to find ways to reach these people and understand that the chaplain is is one point, one place to enter that world, and that uh, the chaplain can't always be there particularly when that armed service person exits the military. And that's where a lot of times the church, the synagogue, or other places of worship can come in and personally touch the lives of those veterans. You know we're losing 20 a day on average from the veteran community. It's actually 16.4 from what I understand from the VA that our veterans that are, that are committing suicide. The other 3.6 are coming from active duty, but the general number of 20 per day is a tragic figure because even one loss is too much. But these folks obviously have dropped out of that range of care that, that is out there and their, their needs aren't being addressed. And it's just tragic for America that we're losing so many this way. Currently in the United States, 22 veterans commit suicide every day. That's about 8,000 suicides annually. The number of veteran suicides is higher on average than combat deaths since 2001. Chaplains have known for a while is that there is a spiritual connection with the solution to suicide and that that has been unrecognized or disallowed and that there are 2,200 programs that have been done by DOD, 1,100 by the Veterans Administration, and all have failed miserably. But there are a couple programs out there backed by scientists from Duke and Harvard who are not religious, but understand the religious connection. And those programs have not suffered a loss yet in terms of those that are engaging with suicidal thoughts. Male veterans kill themselves at a rate 19% higher than civilian men. Female veterans die by suicide at a rate 150% higher than civilian women.
1: Thank you, Phil, for sharing that. It's obviously a very emotional, deeply emotional subject. You know, it's always good to talk with Phil, and I, I really appreciate it. For years and years, we've had these wonderful conversations. and It's really interesting to look at it from the perspective of a chaplain and some of the things that a chaplain is doing. You know, we're certainly dealing with other issues, not just suicide alone because there are many there there's a, a whole litany but as phil mentioned earlier in here we're also dealing with active duty service members and we're also dealing with the fact that this is our group. These are our people that we are responsible for. We are riding on the back of of their successes and their sacrifice. Whether you look at the sacrifice of life or the fact that they have given up their time, which they're allotted in this lifetime, to be able to do things to make us strong, we as a society and a people need to stand strong with them. And personally, I look at the fact in so many ways, like in suicide, that I don't care if you're faith-based or if you're not faith-based, if you like the church or you hate the church. But the important fact that Phil mentioned in here, and something I don't want you to forget, we're losing him at a very rapid rate. I did the math when Phil was talking and if we're losing at, at his rate of 20 a day, not the 22 a day, broken down to the 3.8 active duty, that's 20 a day. And if we only use it at 350 days a year, that brings us to 7,000 a year. And if we use that since 2003, that brings us over 119,000 that have taken their life at their own hand. It's something that we need to be aware of and it's something that we need to work at. I don't know about you, but if it was my son or daughter, even if I wasn't religious, I would want to look at the results that they're getting from the chaplain corps and using a spirit-based type of healing, something I think we should all take a look at. Phil, thank you for your time and everything, your ability to so beautifully express yourself and give us this information that we need. I said at the earlier part that we'd mentioned how to get a hold of Phil. You can reach him at our website at operationhighground.org. It's under the passing baton section. There's a drop down for resources and you will find the Chaplain Alliance there and you'll be able to reach Phil there. Again, thank you, Phil, for all that you do.
0: Thank you, Rick. Operation High Ground is a nonprofit organization that needs financial support to continue to grow and serve. If you would like to support us, you can reach us at OperationHighGround.org or you can email us at info@operationhighground.org. Operation High Ground is committed to the continued support of our veterans and their families. Thank you for your interest and support of this program.
1: This is the City Sites Podcast Network.